When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. It's the first day of autumn tomorrow. 1st of September. It feels like it should be the end of the cricket season, doesn't it? And it's cool out there. I've been watching a game today, actually, and needed about three layers. But actually, nothing doing. It's the start of England's white ball autumn, I suppose you'd say, with the victory last night over New Zealand uh, at the Chesler Street ground and a serious build-up towards the World Cup, which starts in just over a month's time. England are defending title holders of that tournament of course and I'm delighted to say that our World Cup documentary 2019 World Cup documentary called The Greatest Game is now on the BBC as well Uh, so you can watch it on iPlayer I'll put a link in the program notes to how to find it it's also on BBC2 actually after the second T20 game against New Zealand on Friday, on Friday night, uh, fairly late at night, unfortunately, but at least it's out there on the BBC. So look out for it. We're going to play a couple of clips from that show during this podcast. I'm glad to say Simon Mann is back with us. He's brought the autumn weather with us, haven't you? <laughs> oh, that's a bit unfair. Uh, well, it was. I tell you what, it was pretty hot when I went on my holiday. It's actually quite nice to be back to, to cooler weather. Although having said that, I have been back for a, a week or two now. But it sort of it feels like back to work, doesn't it? You know, the the one day internationals and T twenties are starting uh, for England. Congratulations, you finally made it. Your put your documentary on the BBC, Oz. Well done at last. And you know, there is something called a recorder. You don't have to stay up till eleven o'clock at night to watch it. You can actually press record and watch it the next day, or you can go on the iPlayer and watch it at your leisure. So you know, well, welcome to the twenty first century. <laughs> actually, I, I'm. Thank you for saying. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, a, it's a moment, it's a seminal moment because actually we strived to get this film on the BBC all along uh, because we wanted to see, to get people to, to witness the final in all its drama again and we can't get enough of it really, that 2019 amazing final but also to tell the stories of the players and how they developed and the people who helped them along the way and all the kind of different characters that, that the team uh, boasted, really, which was part of the reason why it was so successful. The diversity within the team, both of background and thought, actually, was really crucial in what England achieved. And now, of course, they've got to go out and defend their title in a month's time. Yeah, and are they as well prepared this time as they were last time? Uh, probably not. I mean, they haven't actually played that much one-day international cricket in the last four years I had a look at some of the the facts and figures of this um, between 2015 and 2019 they played 88 one-day internationals and they won 55 of them since 2019 since that dramatic victory at Lords against New Zealand they've only played 36 one-day internationals and they've won 18 of them 
And uh, one of the sort of key stats that you came up with, I think via Paul Farbrace uh, before the last World Cup, is he, he, he was talking about that to be successful in the World Cup, you need most, if not all, of your players to have played 51-day internationals and you need to be in the top two in the world to win the World Cup, you know, to have a really good chance of winning the World Cup. I know statistically, that's, I mean, it's not an absolute given, it's not, it's not set in stone. But you, know, you look at it, England are fifth in the world, and they've actually got quite a few players in their provisional squad who haven't played that much one-day international cricket. Well, Atkinson, no matches at all. Even Liam Livingston, 12 one-dayers. Rhys Topley, 22. David Milan, who's a sort of veteran player, has only played 18 one-day internationals. And Sam Curran, who you think of as sort of being a white ball specialist, he's actually played more test matches than he's played one-day internationals. He's only played 23. So, you know, there are a few who are quite inexperienced in one-day international terms. They're probably not that inexperienced in terms of white ball cricket. They're, they're, you know, they play a lot of it, don't they? Come off the back of the hundreds, you know, most of them playing lots of T20s. But in terms of one-day international cricket, there's quite a few that haven't played that much. I can see what you've been doing when you've been in, in France. You know, you've been reading <laughs> cricket data books. What a lovely holiday companion you must be. But actually, they're very valuable stats. And another one I can throw in is that Joss Butler, between 2015 and 2019, played 76 one-day internationals. And in the last four years, uh, so that was in the lead-up to the 2019 World Cup, in the last four years, he's only played 23. So it does show that England's focus... Uh, for various reasons, obviously COVID being one, hasn't been quite on the, the 50 over World Cup in the same way as it was in that four-year lead-up. Yeah, and, and just a bit of comparison as well. Well, you think how, how many of the other teams played. I just had a look at India, how many they played uh, since 2019, and they have played 57. So they haven't played stacks and stacks, but they played you know over 20 more uh, than England. And the Asia Cup's underway now, isn't it? It is full steam ahead to the World Cup, really. The Asia Cup's underway. Australia in South Africa playing a white ball series there. England against New Zealand. It's weird, actually, isn't it? England, New Zealand playing each other eight times in a really condensed uh, passage of, of time. You know, the, the T20s and then the one-dayers. And, of course, they then played them in the first match of the, of the World Cup. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, and, and I mean, it's interesting that they're playing a lot of T20s as well, isn't it? Because Australia, South Africa last night was a T20. Obviously, England, New Zealand. Pay the bills, Yoz. Pay the bills. It, it, pay, it pays the bills, of course. And England, we, we should just mention, did uh, create a thumping victory over New Zealand mm. last night in Chester Street. Seven wicket victory, 36 balls in hand. I mean, mm. that really is a drubbing, isn't it? Although, yeah. I suppose, forgivably for New Zealand, you know, early match of the tour if you like it's it's not always easy to get to grips with everything quite straight away but they're quite an experienced New Zealand side that and they were given a, a right old hiding by England yeah they were uh, they have come from the UAE where they were playing some T20s they actually lost to the UAE in one game they won the series 2-1 they lost by seven wickets to the UAE on the 19th of August although it was a it was quite a scratch New Zealand side so there's a few that were playing in that match against UAE who you know, weren't playing uh, last night. Yeah, so they, you know, they have been playing cricket and, and some of them, of course, have been playing in the 100 as well. But the, uh, po the but point was I was going to make was that you know, they've been all, well, they're all playing T20 and people will say, well, T20 is not much of a preparation for 50 over cricket. Right. Now, I think we should, we should just examine this a bit because Owen Morgan was one who said, really, a 50 over match now is just an extension of, of a tw T20 game. It's just two t T20s with a, another 10 over block thrown in. So you can play at the T20 tempo was his argument. So therefore, T20 is a good preparation for 50 over cricket. But I would dispute that 
And, and, and it's funny, but I, I was at a game today, actually. Um, this is a, a, well, a, a sort of a, a free-form side called Free Forest. It's a very historically well-known side, a bit like a poor man's MCC, uh, who play many games around the country uh, over the years. And, and in fact, they used to play against the first-class counties in the 1960s, I think. And they were playing the club cricket conference, uh, young side, uh, drawn from all the different clubs around the place, uh, talented young players on either side. Uh, it was a 50-over game, but the uh, Free Foresters side bowled out in 30 overs for 220. And their coach said, look, you know, they're not, they're not interested in batting for 50 overs. They just want to belt it. Nobody wants to knock it around and wait till the last 10 overs to smash it. They just smash it from ball one, which, of course, they've got from... T20. And I, I, I don't know whether there is a, a sort of uh, a lost approach to 50 over cricket, really, or it's, it's gradually being just blurred into T20 uh, approach. And look, if you if you get bowled out for 280 in 37 overs, nobody seems to care. You just got to defend that score. So, I, I, you know, maybe there is this sort of uh, attitude that you play T20. It is an OK Preparation. I mean, and there are going to be games, I suppose, especially in India, where you you get you lose early wickets because I don't know either the ball nips around or the spinners get into it or something, and and suddenly you are going to have to rebuild. So teams with good players down the bottom who can bat reasonably properly, all rounders, you know, of the likes of Sam Curran and and others who can you know can adapt their game. And get a fifty at number eight or or nine are going to be very important. Mm. Yeah, well, the thing about India in conditions, people think, oh, the pitches are going to spin or whatever. I mean, some of the pitches are flat, aren't they? Some of the pitches are belters for for batting. You think something like Bengaluru, you know, the pitches there are generally speaking pretty good. Other places, the ball turns, and you, you know you're going to have to work hard. Somewhere like Chennai, you're going to have to work hard uh, to score your runs. You're going to you're going to need sort of different type of approaches uh, for different. Uh, games when it comes to playing those matches in India, and what, one of the fascinating things about last night, uh, yours, it's this all you know, just that little game within a game. Harry Brook and and David Milan batting together, a lot of focus since we last spoke uh, with each other about a month ago, of, of, you know, about the World Cup squad and the fact that. Harry Brook is not in it. He was not in England's provisional 15. The situation there is that England have to formally submit their World Cup squad to the ICC by the 5th of September. And then further changes can be made until the 28th of September. But I think that's only because of injury. So, you know, basically they have to make a... Well, they have made a fairly early call, haven't they? They've gone Roy Milan, say... Not that you're talking totally like for like there, and no Brook. You're probably saying they've gone Livingston rather than a Brook actually in the middle order, on the Stokes coming in as as nudge Brook out as well. I mean, it comes back to this thing that I sort of rail against a little bit is that you can only have a squad of fifteen. I, I you know, I think for 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 nine intense matches, you know, possibly up to eleven matches actually. 50 over cricket I think a squad of 15 is a bit thin you know it's the World Cup as well you know there are certain days when you want different types of players in your side and you you, you might have play, two or three players struggling with injury or whatever so I, I've t- we said this before the last World Cup and I think the World Cup squad should be a little bit bigger the thing is you carry around a couple of reserves as it is so mm. you know why not just have them in the, in the official squad and then you can you know then there is a bit more latitude you can have you can select you know is, is England against India against Australia, against New Zealand, whatever. It's not 15. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be 15 of those con- uh, players from those countries. Why not just expand it a little bit? Anyway, that, that's... Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe, maybe there's a future in 
uh, a professional cricketer being also a part-time uh, masseurs or physio or something so <laughs> you can adapt you can you can be part of the squad and you can come in for for a game or two if, if necessary and then go back to your day job i mean i agree with you there should be more players i mean india is you think about that they're playing in durham Shala, which is halfway up the himalayas mm. Uh, for one match and then right down at the bottom of, of India like Chennai another match that's two totally different climatic zones if not separated by one in the middle I mean it's it's a massive change and you will need different sorts of players uh, I mean the Harry Brook thing is just I think it's absurd actually that he's not in the squad I mean look, look that shot he played last night who does night, he get I, in for though well, I'd, put, I'd put, him in, for? put him in for David Milan you just said he's only okay. played 18 games I, I'm not convinced by his approach in one-day cricket. And, you know, you've got Joe Root to work it around and, and play the kind of anchor role. You've also got Stokes to do that. You need some some power and, and blasting in the in the sort of middle order. And, you know, they, they've lost Owen Morgan, who obviously retired. Uh, for, for me, I mean, that shot Brooke hit off uh, Tim Southey last night, which went into the into orbit in uh, Chesler Street, disappeared into the night sky just fractionally short ball. I mean, it was a slower ball, but it was only fractionally short. And just using his wrists, he hit it about 100 yards. I mean, he's, he's incredible. And and I, I just think England are really... Well, I hope that they'll see to that their sense. He made 43 off 30-odd balls last night without even breaking sweat. And, 27 balls it was, yeah. 43 off 27. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, he... He's such a talent that I think it's, it will be a... It will be a um, an, an outrage, actually, if he if he finally doesn't make it into the squad, and I hope they find a way of getting him in. Yeah, it feels a shame if if he's not there. What I would say about David Milan, though, he's played eighteen one-day internationals. Yeah, okay, he's only played eighteen. Seven hundred and sixty-nine runs at fifty-four with a strike rate of ninety-three. He's made four hundreds and three fifties. His record is good. His you know his record is good enough to be there. I mean, it's not it's not a criticism of him really. It's, it's it's the fact that England have got this you know lots of talent, isn't it really? I mean, he's done well. I mean, you, it's hard, it's hard to argue against him on his own uh, figures. And you know, last night again, people say, oh, you know, is, is he he's thirty five? Should he be in England's T Twenty squad if you if you're perhaps looking to build for uh, the the future again? I know, although he said that, there's another T20 World Cup not far away. In fact, next summer in, in the West Indies. Um, but, you know, he produces you know, more runs, doesn't he? Again, he, he's one of those players that always, when people start to doubt him, he always seems to produce. And, you know, another half century for him in in, in last night's match. It was, you know, it was a bit sketchy at times. And I, I suppose he's one of those players that is, you know, you know when, when, the, when the target is not ultra-challenging, that you know he he is a, the glue in which you can base an innings around. You know, it wasn't that particularly challenging a target, was it? Last nine hundred and forty to win. You'd you know you'd expect England to knock that that off, really, with the players they've got. I don't know thirty nine times out of forty, really. I just don't think they can afford a player in the middle order or indeed the top order uh, who who scores a strike rate of ninety three. They've already got Root who scores a strike rate of about eighty seven. Now he's there anchor man right and we we can tolerate one i don't think you can have two uh, if you have too many players of a strike rate of 93 it means you're going to score under 300 on average and that's just not going to win too many 50 over games anymore especially in flat pitches in the subcontinent so i i think there's a reason to say milan is just not scoring fast enough i know he's got a fantastic average and he's a good he's a really good player and obviously he's left-handed which is also a valuable advantage he's not a player who 
will necessarily uh, thrive in Indian conditions. He likes a bit of bounce. You know, he doesn't tickly like the ball spinning, uh, although, you know, he does play the spin okay. But I think he prefers the Australian-type pitches or English-type pitches, which which bounce a bit more. So, from all 10-10s and purposes, I think Brook has to be in. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to argue against Harry Brook. Um, he's only played, I mean, he's played three one-day internationals, so he's not, you know, he's not How many had Archer played? You know, Archer was brought yeah. in. Well, there, he, yeah. he played there a, you go. No, he played, what, three? I think mm. before the World Cup, he played one game in, in Ireland and three or four against Pakistan. So, he'd played about four or five before he played in the World mm. Cup. Yeah, uh, well, there, there you go. I'm, I'm just in comp- comparing uh, strike rates. Uh, we've got uh, you know Johnny Bairstow, his strike rate in one day is, is 104. Uh, ben Stokes is 95. Uh, Jason Roy is 105. So that you know, there's Milan there on on 93. You say Root's, you know, and Root. You you might argue Root could be one of England's most valuable. Probably will be one of England's most valuable players in India because of his ability to manipulate the spin. Yeah, you say he's down there at 87 in, in one day international. So, you know, it takes it takes all sorts. Milan is left-handed as well. England have Stokes and Moen Ali. But apart from that, it seems we've got a lot of right-handers. So that may be in their thinking as well. It's just this, how do you, how do you squeeze them all in? I mean, you know, Livingston is a dynamic player. He offers you the the spin as well, the spin options. And I think England, you know, might need that because they're... they're just a little bit thin. I mean, they've got Rashid and Moen Ali. They've got Joe Root. But so there's Livingston as well. I mean, you know, he's another player. You'd you think, yeah, he's got to be in. I, it, it does put me in mind of the last... Remember the 2015 World Cup when England went to Australia and New Zealand and they didn't include Ben Stokes? It's incredible to think, actually, isn't it? That, you know, we think of what he did in 2019. They left him out of the 2015 World Cup squad. I just, I remember thinking at the time, there's, there was a sort of logic to it. I think I remember hearing an interview from him at the time saying, I didn't deserve to be in it. Whether he actually believed that or not, I, I'm not sure. But I just had a look at his record up to the... 2015 World Cup. He played 24 matches, Ben Stokes, in one day international cricket, averaging 15 with only one half century and 20 wickets at 35. So he wasn't he wasn't actually sort of screaming pick me, but it it feels it does feel similar, doesn't it? You know, England leaving out Stokes in 2015, leaving out Harry Brook in in 2023, uh, uh, you know, as it stands at the moment, unless they take a you know a really a ruthless decision, but they've sort of basically picked their squad, haven't they? It, it, it seems to me that's what Luke Wright was saying when he gave his press conference after they named it. This, you know, this is our squad, unless there are any injuries along the way, which, of course, is always a, a possibility. So one person who's obviously definitely in and very important, you, you've already mentioned him, Adil Rashid, uh, who I think is now level with Chris Jordan as England's leading wicket-taker in T20 internationals with 96 wickets, still a little way to go to overtake Jimmy Anderson who is England's leading ODI 50 over wicket taker uh, but anyway very much uh, an important part of of the team uh, really helped England turn the tables on other countries in that four-year period between 2015 and 2019 he was a slow starter actually as an England player he first came into the side when he was very young and and found the going difficult but certainly made a transition in that sort of 2015 period into one of the England's absolute bankers in the team and in our film which I mentioned at the start we actually went to interview 
Adil in a mosque in the mosque in Bradford, which is right behind Bradford Park Avenue, where he sometimes practices. And it was interesting listening to him talking about the importance of really becoming a very faithful and devout Muslim and how that impacted on his cricket. You don't get time to get ready. You got to go four, five, six balls at a time. So my dad loved this cricket. Whatever he knew, he passed it on to me. He sacrificed everything. We have a game at nine o'clock, you know, we have to set off at seven. And he would be doing taxis at night. So he'd be finishing taxis maybe four or five in the morning, so maybe he'd have an hour's sleep. You know, take me to cricket, stay with me all day, and then and repeat that whole circle. I first broke through in 2009. I was 18. It's like a dream come true in, in terms of cricket. Mentally, you know, you have a bad game. Until the next time you perform well, you're really constantly thinking about it. You're really down. Didn't help my cricket. Didn't help my lifestyle, didn't help anything. My belief of Islam. It was something at that time where I felt as though I needed. Because as a Muslim, this was my belief, but I wasn't really practicing it. That was probably the turning point of my life, I would say. My mindset now is completely different. You know, the purpose in life is pleasing God and making sure I'm a good Muslim, a good person. Cricket is something you give your 100% for, but it's not anything beyond that. I think that's a, a really interesting story that, that Adil tells there about the impact that Faith had on his cricket. And I think particularly it's important for a, a, a leg spinner because leg spin is such a, a difficult art to manage and control and, and really handle yourself. You know, it's an art where you bowl one or, one or two short balls, they can be whacked for six and you're taken out of the attack and you then start to doubt yourself. It's a very difficult art, spinning the ball like that with googlies and things as well, to control and be accurate. And if you do worry about it too much, it's just going to get worse. So clearly he was able to really invest his, his life in Islam and that enabled him to, to relax and almost treat cricket as a bit of fun. As a as a as a light relief in a way, as something that he could enjoy, and as long as he was being a faithful Muslim, you know everything else would sort of look after itself, and it did. Uh, and you know I can see why it's difficult leg spin to to be in control of all the time. He's been incredibly consistent. Why has he not performed well in India uh, in the IPL? I wonder if it's because he's quite a slow leg spinner. He likes to give the ball air, and the most successful spinners in India tend to be bowlers who bowl it flat. I'm thinking Rashid Khan, Sunil Narain, obviously Ravi Ashwin, Jadeja. You know, those bowlers are bowl kind of closer to 60 miles an hour, 
fire it through, bowl the odd slower ball, and they get their wickets that way. They bowl tend to be bowl back of a length slightly, and a batsman have trouble getting down the wicket to them. Whereas Rashid, being a little bit slower, batsmen look to try and get down to him and and take him down the ground. So that may be a, a thing for him to work on uh, looking ahead to the World Cup. Yeah, he didn't have a great time. He finally got his IPL contract, didn't he, uh, this time round with Sunrisers Hyderabad, and they barely played him, and he played a couple of games. Uh, you know, So yeah, he had a chance to look at it, but not really uh, participate in it. But you f- you'd feel he's going to be quite a key player if England you know, are going to do well in the World Cup. It's going to be a challenge for them, I think. You know, I, I mean, It's still a month away. We, there, are lot, there are lots of Asian teams who are used to those sort of conditions. Uh, India clearly are going to be, I think, favourites on their home ground. And, yeah, I mean, they've got to finish in the top four. They only just finished in the top four of their own competition last time round. You know, they just sneaked into the semi-finals. It was touch and go for a while. So, yeah, it's going to be quite a big challenge for them. Well, I think they've got a great chance of getting into the top four. I think that the power of their batting, right down to virtually number 11... You know, if Mark Wood plays at number ten, he can smack massive sixes, as we've seen in the Ashes. So, I think I think they've got so much uh, bludgeoning ability with the bat. Obviously, the bowling is going to be more of a concern. That uh, is my concern. I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, they've got spin options, not all of them top class. I mean, Liam Livingstone's a bit hit and miss, but they've got Moen Ali, very experienced. Obviously, Adil Rashid as well. So, I, I think I mean England's pace bowling. Will need to kind of form itself for the for the tournament. Would will will play every game in my book. Although I'd like to see him work a bit more in his slower ball. I know you know that sounds a bit ridiculous. A guy who can bowl ninety five miles an hour, but I think a, a really good slower ball would actually be a, a massive advantage for him. Uh, England have got a couple of left armers as well, haven't they? Three left armers, in fact, um, with David Willey and Sam Curran as well as Reese Topley, and I think that's a good asset to have. The one thing they they real really need is someone to to bowl at the death. Well, I mean, I've been impressed with the way Sam Curran's approached bowling at the death in the hundred. So, uh, and he did well in the the World T Twenty. So, you know, I think he's won. And then it's uh, whether somebody else can step up. Whether it's uh, Wood himself, perhaps not. Whether it's Chris Wokes, well, we'll, we'll see. Whether it's Reese Topley. Maybe two left armers is not what you want at the death, but I mean clearly there that is an area. The last ten overs of a fifty-over game when you've got five men on the boundary, uh, you know, obviously very important. But don't forget those previous ten overs, some thirty to forty, or even twenty-five to forty, when you've got only got four men on the boundary, and that's going to be a critical phase of of World Cup matches because you know with that with that two options to hit boundaries with only four boundary fielders allowed until the 40th over it's it, that that does really give batsmen free license so you're going to need people with cool heads as well as lots of skill yeah last world cup of course england had archer and plunkett who were you know absolutely instrumental in their world cup victory liam plunkett no longer acquired and you know in his late 30s now joffre archer well there's some talk that he was going to be fit possibly for the World Cup seems unlikely we'll see how that one uh, pans out you know, and as you say Topley in Atkinson in Willie in Willie who missed out last time uh, Tom Curran was in the squad last time this time it's Sam Curran who seems you know he seems a really quite important uh, member yeah. of this 
World Cup squad for England now when he when you consider he wasn't around not well he was around last time but he wasn't in the squad. Well, he's a world's isn't he one of the world's richest all rounders now, isn't he? With the the price tag he attracted in the last IPL. I mean, I tried to find out about Joffre Archer. I asked Paul Farbrace today what the story was because uh, he's the coach at Sussex, of course, and he said he hadn't seen him for a while and he didn't have any idea. So that doesn't sound exactly promising, does it? No. I mean, it, it was Farb who sort of set the hair running, didn't he, a few weeks ago when he, he did an, an interview on the BBC where he said that you know, Joffre's looking good uh, for the World Cup. But, well, he's not, he's not there at the moment. It's, it's asking a lot, isn't it? You know, when you, when you, you haven't bowled for ages to come out and play in the World Cup. So you, you think, in the end, I always think it's always better to go with your fit players rather than your talented players who are not quite fit. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's a, a good fit one is better, it's better than a great unfit one. Yeah, I think that was what happened to England in the 2007 Ashes, wasn't it? After the brilliant win in 2005, they then went with three half-fit players to the Ashes in 2006-07 and got absolutely thumped 5-0. So uh, there's, a, there's a lesson for you. I, one man, another man, of course, who will absolutely be an important part of the team, Mark Wood, who had such a great summer as having a little bit of a layoff now, enjoying some time with his family. And when we made the film about the 2019 World Cup, we went up to Ashington, I, I love Ashington. It's in the northeast, obviously, uh, Northumberland, uh, a, a former mining town where the famous uh, Charlton brothers also hail from, and Steve Harmison, amongst uh, other notable sports players. And Mark Wood, very much entrenched in his local Ashington society, uh, you know, got his coach that's been coming to to Ashington Cricket Club since the nineteen eighties, and you know, just a, a, an incredibly strong community there. And I, I love the story that Woody tells, actually, about the, the World Cup final, because he's someone who, on the surface, looks quite a relaxed character. But in the dressing room, he's absolutely nervous wreck. And the players don't like having him around during nervy run chases because he just makes them all feel agitated and on edge. So they banished him from the dressing room. And the only place he could find to watch the match was in the dressing room attendance room. And here he tells that story. I remember also being in the balcony, everybody's watching. But a lot of people like were nervous, like Woody would get up and walk here, get sit down, walk up, get up, go walk around, you know, because he can't sit still. I couldn't sit down, I was that nervous. So I went in the back room, in the toilet. There's like shower rooms, baths, and a dressing room attendance room. There was a little tiny TV. So I just sat by myself in that room and the only place I could sit and watch the TV was on the washing machine. So every time we'd start the washing machine, I would get to see the player, but it would be like, <laughs> like that. So I spent 20 hours on the washing machine watching a World Cup final that I was involved in. Of course, soon after that moment, when he was sat on the washing machine, he was herring out to the middle for that last ball of the main match, um, in full regalia, helmet, thigh pad, arm guard, chest pad, every, anything that could slow him down. And all he had to do was run, to try and run that two to get Stokes and England to victory. And, of course, he failed to beat the throw. Not that it was his fault, because it was an impossible two. 
which he was never going to make, even if he'd been Carl Lewis or Usain Bolt. So, uh, you know, forgivable that he probably put all that kit on, but maybe another time he wouldn't. Anyway, he'll be part of the team, of course, and looking forward to seeing when he comes back. Time passes quickly, though, Yoz. The this four-year cycle is, is nearly up of, of, sort of preparation going into the next World Cup. It all starts in India on the, the 5th of October when England take on New Zealand. So a repeat of that match. Um, I can't believe we'll have the same drama in the, the first match of the World Cup as we had in the last match of the, the last World Cup. They're sort of gradually sorting themselves out. There's still you know, doubts about you know, where certain games are going to be played, but they, they sort of finally came out with a, a schedule. And they finally came out with a schedule for the Asia Cup as well, which is underway, just got underway uh, yesterday. And in, India against Pakistan in Palakeli in Sri Lanka on Saturday... Now, it was supposed to be in Pakistan, the tournament, and there was all sorts of politics involved in that. And so some matches are in Pakistan and, and some matches are, are in Sri Lanka. And in India, Pakistan, in, in the middle of uh, Sri Lanka, it's in sort of candy territory. Actually, one of the loveliest grounds in the world. That It's, a, it's an absolutely fabulous place. If you ever get the chance to go uh, and watch cricket in, in Asia, go to Palakeli. It's a, a beautiful ground to watch. And there'll be, you know, India and Pakistan will be going at it, hammer and tongs this weekend. I wonder if it'll be the smallest crowd that's ever attended an India-Pakistan match because there won't be many, there certainly won't be many Pakistanis in living in Sri Lanka and not that many Indians either. I mean, guess some will, might fly over for the day or for the weekend or whatever, but I, I, I don't, how, do, how many does the stadium hold? It's not that it's big, not, It's it? not it's huge, no. 25, 20-odd thousand yeah. or something. There's a couple of grassy banks on one side, so... Yeah, it could be the smallest ground, and it, it, quite a contrast from that amazing encounter in Melbourne uh, in the World T20, which of course went right to the last ball. What an amazing over that was! That last over, and that was watched by ninety thousand in the ground, and probably about five hundred million on telly. Well, I think that's the point, isn't it, Yoz? That there might not that, you know, but there might be not be stacks of people in the ground. Uh, in Sri Lanka in the weekend, I mean, they'll, they'll probably have a decent crowd. They normally they'll 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 turn up from somewhere or other. Um, but there'll be plenty of people uh, watching on television. I wonder if Pakistan have got a chance in the World Cup. I don't know. They've they, they've always struggled against India in World Cups, and they're playing on Indian uh, soil in this World Cup. But, you know, they've they've lost a couple of times, big matches, big knockout matches in India in the World Cup. They lost in the semi final in 2011. They lost in the quarter final in 1996. I was there at at both those matches, and they they never really quite looked like winning either game. India just a bit too. Uh, strong for them, but, you know. Pakistan, they could they could go well in this World Cup. You know, you, you, I think they'd be reasonably confident of of a top four finish. Uh, but you know, they they certainly would be a team in contention. And when you get to that knockout stage, you can get there. Then, well, you know, you you, you the opening is there, isn't it? On the day, it's just you just. I mean, there there's so many changes of personnel with Pakistan always, aren't there? Both on the field and off the field. Inzamam is now back as chairman of selectors and he's had two or three stints uh, at that not a bad man to have actually as chairman of selectors given his impact on the the world cup in 1992 he basically wrestled the semi-final from the hands of new zealand and and was instrumental partly instrumental in the in winning the final as well so uh, a lovely man to have as chairman of selectors but they can't decide on their on their foot on their best team and there's lots of chops and changes all the time. And I think, you know, the key for the World Cup, a long tournament, nine matches, is to have, A, 
you know, good depth, but also to have a clear idea of what your best 11 is. And that was one of the things I think which really helped England in 2019 was they were very clear on their top six batting order and their bowling lineups. And there were one or two, you know, flexibility areas. But in the main, they stuck with that sort of main 11. I mean, Moen didn't play a few games and they chopped and changed slightly. But in the main, there were, there were certainly 10 players who were absolutely um, you know, bankers for, for every match. And that really helped. If you've got the stamina... Which I mean is the other thing, you know, with India nine matches flying around the country quite a bit, it's exhausting. So you need people with a resilience as well as a lot of skill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- with only fifteen players in the squad, there isn't that much room for chopping and changing, isn't there? Not, not really. The one, the one sort of potential flaw for this game in Palakelli at the weekend is rain. There's some potentially it might rain, uh, which will be a a huge disappointment, but yeah, everyone. It feels as if everyone's sort of focusing now on in India, isn't it? It's it, it's building up after well, a Test match summer here, certainly where the Ashes was was centre stage, and yeah, where generally speaking, you're not as much. It seems not as much one day international cricket has been played. You know, even India not playing as much as they played in the in the previous cycle, but it's all gearing up uh, towards uh, India at the the start of. October. There's still so much cricket to play here, isn't there? County Championships picking up again. You know that will be decided in, in in the next month. I was just looking ahead to next year. I noticed that England are playing Australia in the last match of the summer on the 29th of September uh, next year. I mean, they really are squeezing it in, aren't they? That match in at the county ground in Bristol. Their, their record for one day is, is not always great. I don't know what what, what weather's going to be like on the 29th of September uh, 2024 for that. But anyway, yeah, well, so it's, you know, a solid month of cricket still to come and then two riveting months nearly in India with the World Cup. Well, I think we'll leave it there, actually, with an acknowledgement that it is the resumption of the county championship on Sunday. So we'll be back next Wednesday, not only to look back at those matches in the county championship and also England's T20 games against New Zealand, but also looking ahead to the real build-up to the World Cup, which is England's four ODIs in the space of eight days against New Zealand next week. Ah, it's going to be tough, isn't it, for both teams, actually. Four 50-over matches in the space of eight days. That really is going to be the survival of the fittest and the toughest. So that's it for today. And just another reminder that The Greatest Game, our 2019 World Cup documentary, is on BBC Two on Friday night at 11.05pm and also on iPlayer. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.